All right. Um, Laura? Yeah? Laura, introduce the podcast. I've got to go turn off my air conditioner. Host the podcast for me a second. Oh, no, this is too much pressure. I, 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 I think the only other time I did this was that one time it was just me and Gav around. Um, All ears on Laura. Yeah, right. It's okay. It's okay. I've, I've got to do some silly nonsense. Uh, what's up, all you... I'll have my wireless headphones on. I'll be with you every step of the way. I believe what's... in you. What's up, all you, all you nonsense doers? Uh, Laura K. Buzz here with a podquisition. It's a video game podcast. Uh, it's Laura, Jim, and Comrade. There we go. I'm I'm in control of the ship today. We're telling you about video games right at the start. All right, I've done it. Now stop. Absolutely fucking stop. <laughs> right. What? You don't like me telling people who's on the show and what the show's about at the start of the show? Well, it, it it's not characteristic of the show, I will say. Like, people come here with an expectation. It's not characteristic of Jim running the show. This is what happens when I'm around. I tell you what the show is and who's on it. Hang on, I'm blanketing back up. Right. Here's the thing. Don't take it too personally. I'd have told you to fucking stop no matter what because I don't like sharing the spotlight. <laughs> well, well, that's, that's that's on you, isn't it? That's that's not my fault. Y'all might be hosting more of this show today anyway because I don't feel very well, thank you very much. See, that's what I thought you were leading up to was uh, Laura hosts the show. I'm, I, 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 I was here for 30 seconds, I'm buggering off. Yeah, y'all might have to understudy me today. Because it's not, I'm not in a good way and I don't know why. That's never good. Never good. Queasy tummy, no idea why. No, it's never good when you can't just go, this is what's wrong, here's how I fix it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not painful enough to be like gas or acid related, but it's gone on too long to be food poisoning. So it's somewhere in the middle. I might have, I might have drunk some acid that went off. Oh, but that it's gone for like three, four days now. That's the unsettling part of it for me. It's just weird, weird tummy time. <laughs> I'm having a weird, weird tummy time, and I don't like it. It's a tumultuous tummy time for me. Well, see, you you might have to leave this show early this week. I was almost here late because entirely without intention, I fell asleep and woke up three minutes before recording time with no alarm to wake me up. So you, you're lucky I showed up today. <laughs> I was busy playing video games. I'd have totally missed it. Whole show. Would have missed it. Yeah, this, this, this week just... We, we got here, but fucking count yourselves lucky, everyone. <laughs> yeah, not a one of us was really prepared in any way to do this. No. I mean, I mean, are any of us ever prepared for this show when it rolls around? Yeah, but normally, normally I've not been in bed for days because I keep feeling like I'm going to upchuck, except I don't feel like I'm going to upchuck because there's no upchuck to upchuck. Have you ever had that where you don't feel like you're going to be sick, but you feel like you're going to feel like you're going to be sick? Yeah. How much chuck could chuck upchuck if upchuck could upchuck? Chuck is a TV show I haven't seen. <laughs> it ain't bad is it not it's one of them ones where there's one man who is a detective who is better than everyone else and is always right is that is that right is he one of, is he one of those it's the pro i mean it is nerdy white power fantasy yeah. to an extreme it and every time I, I like i watch the whole damn series and every time i'm like oh god this show is so fucking awful they do something that is like really feels like it has some heart behind it and i'm like god Damn it, I don't want to like these characters because this show sucks. And Scott Bakula shows up and you're like, fuck, now I have to watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I watched an episode of Upstart Crow yesterday, starring David Mitchell as William Shakespeare. I have never laughed so much at such a patently unfunny show. It was a strange paradox. I spent the whole time thinking, this is just unpleasantly unfunny comedy. That's quite good, though. I mean, that's how I feel about a lot of Tim and Eric's stuff. Oh, yeah. So you mentioned the name Upstart Crow, and I don't know why, but I assumed that it was like, oh, oh, that sounds like a pun name based on who's in it is Russell Crowe or someone in it. No. And I don't know why I assumed, but now I'm like, nah, we're popping Russell Crowe in this, apparently. Russell Crowe playing William Shakespeare in a sitcom would itself <laughs> be too dazzling a concept to ignore. <laughs> I would say, as a name, Upstart Crow does interest me. Like, I'm, oh, I kind of want to know what that's about. Yeah. Now that you've told me what it's about, I don't care. Yeah. Well, there you go anyway. <laughs> That's what I've done with my time. I was going to come on and do one of my great Jack Nicholson impressions because I've been playing Destroy All Humans. Ah. Uh, but I'm too sick. I wanted to play that. I, I was going to ask because you should probably tell us about some video games you've played because, you know, 
you might not be here the whole show. You should probably tell yeah. us about your video games. What's what's that one been like? I bought it. Is it good? I bought it. I installed it. I tried to run it. <laughs> Did they not go? Oh man, I put everything to the lowest settings that I possibly could, and it was chug, chug, chug the whole way. Too mountain, too much graphics. Yeah. Literally all I know about the remake or the remaster or whatever this is, is that apparently right up front it has a thing that goes, hey, so a bunch of the jokes we had in this originally are homophobic. Yeah. We left them in, but, like, they're here. It's it's called the we have to repackage this from the 2000s clause. Um, basically, anything before, I want to say, 20... 14 at a push needs to come with a disclaimer. Well, it's a big part of why I wanted to play it, frankly, because I I knew that that was going to be there. And I have a generally fond recollection of Destroy All Humans, but I had absolutely zero doubt that it contained tons of problematic elements that I did not remember. I remember nothing about this, but I'm just going to like put a wild guess out there that the homophobic jokes are probably about anal probing. Is that about right? Because it's about aliens. I'm guessing that's it. I played enough to just unlock the anal probe. Okay. I mean, so far, I mean, that is a concept in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. That will merit discussion and nervous tugging of collars. Um, but as far as I know, I haven't seen any um, uh, homophobic or even homoerotic applied to it. Okay. Um, but but it, it's early days. There's plenty. Like, if it came with a warning, then there's going to be some stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, so far, most of the jokes have just been very banal or very ha-ha, it's set during McCarthyism, let's make a joke about being, like, let's make a red scare joke. Like, it's very bargain basement period humour. Um, but... Aside from that, it's a decent little game. It always was. You know, little aliens shooting things. I tried playing it emulated a few months ago, like before they announced this remaster. And, you know, the thing that sort of struck me is, as often is the case with, you know, PS2 era games, is how close up on the character the camera is and how yeah. much screen real estate they take up. And uh, that seems to be better now. Uh, at least, uh, from the, like, three seconds at five frames a second I was able to play it, uh, but... (laughs) Yeah, it's pulled out quite nicely. Um, so far, I had no trouble. Um, I mean, the the auto-targeting is is a trouble. Like, there's still some dated elements that the game wrestles with, Mm -hmm. but... Other than that, I mean, it's a, it, it, it was always a fun little game, not like a top tier one, but it was a very good, um, back when the idea of the whole middle shelf game was, yeah. was a lot more normal. Um, so normal, there wasn't really a term for it. It was just games. Um, this is a good example of it though. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's, the remaster's good. It runs really well. Um, everything's like it doesn't even have like like the cutscenes don't look all compressed and shit. Like they've done them up a treat as well. Um, as a remaster, it's really well done. So yeah, yeah. if you if you got fond memories of it, then yeah, it's, it's good. Just make sure that your computer can run. It. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm getting I I'm not gonna bother returning it because I'm gonna get an, I'm building a new computer in a couple weeks, so it's mm-hmm. not a huge deal and I'll look forward to checking it out then. I'm still psyched for it. Yeah, I I the, the vague memories I have of playing it are like, yeah, this is a fun it's in that category of like slightly silly nonsense open world games where you don't have to take them too seriously. A sort of like Simpsons hit and run era of this is just a sillyish sandbox to mess around in, and I I remember it fondly enough. The thing that sticks with me so well with Destroy All Humans, beyond anything else in it, is there was a track on the soundtrack, Timo Moss and Kellis, and it's called Help Me, and it is a fucking banger. It's really good. I would just listen to that. Go find that. That's a damn good track. All right, I'm done. So yeah, Destroy All Humans is good. I like that. Um, I could briefly tell you about a game that I think Embargo's up now. They actually gave me a review copy for it. I don't even know if I'll do a review. Um, it's called Hellpoint. What's, what's it about? <laughs> I mean, it's called fucking Hellpoint. It could be about yeah. anything, couldn't yeah. it? Um, so the, the name is fitting. I will, I will also say some other words for you now. 
dark mm. and souls. Mm. I don't know if you want to put those two words together and get an idea about what this is. Basically, imagine dark souls, but sci-fi, but nowhere near as good as The Search. And sort of looks like it should be an early access, but it's not. When you say nowhere as good as The Search, you mean nowhere as good as the original The Search. Because The Search 2 was better. It's not quite as good as the original Search. Nowhere okay, near as good okay. as The Search 2. Okay. It's like, I don't know why they're giving out review codes for it. it. It feels like something not a big enough deal to have, like, even a publisher of Tiny Build's stature behind it. But it's got, like, Tiny Build publishing it. It's got enough weight that it's got some PR behind it. And yet, when you play it... I mean, I'm playing on PS4. I don't know what the frame rate is like elsewhere. It's not quite Deadly Premonition 2, but it ain't great. The environments have... Fuck off, vehicles. The environments have no textures to speak of. Very mild ones. Um, the characters don't quite look like they fit in the world, so everything's got this sort of... It's not an asset flip, but it, it's got that feel of mishmash things just thrown together. And it's fine if you're desperate. If you are so fucking desperate for a Soulslike, this is all right. I mean, I'm only at the second boss so far. Neither of which have uh, proven particularly exciting, big, dramatic, or complicated. Um, it, it's very much just a bunch of people got together and thought, Dark Souls, phew, we can do that. And then they tried. And they tried their best. I don't think the game is lazy. And that's what they can put on the box. I don't think the game is lazy. I'm watching some footage now, and it looks like... What if you were a cyber zombie... In a space station fighting cyber ghosts. Yeah, it's Poundland Dark Souls. I mean, some of these designs, like, they don't look bad, but they, yeah, just just from skimming through some gameplay of it, they, they do look oddly clashing with each other. Everything in it looks fine on its own, but the, yeah, it, it's, there's these weirdly sterile environments, and yet these gross-esque zombie kind of monsters and they just don't look like they belong in the same universe at all. It, I'm, I'm looking at some, some footage and the best way I can describe what I'm seeing is it looked like you it, it looks like you described to three separate artists, here is the setting, draw something to fit in that setting yes. but they didn't compare their end results they were, yes. like, they'd all been given the same brief on what, what their art had to fit in. Yeah, they were all going in the same direction yeah. but had totally yeah. different maps. And, yeah, it's kind of oh. very clashing, and the gameplay is rough. So far, it's just been run up to an enemy and hack and slash until they fall over. You've got your dodging and your blocking, but it's all... For most enemies, there's no point. And so far with the bosses, it really has just been run behind them and just slash wildly until they turn around and then back off. Um, so they've done their best. It's not good enough. But... If you're desperate and you see it for 20 bucks, 15 bucks, then I would say Hellpoint might be worth checking out for like a couple of hours. It tries to do some things. It tries to like let you change the world to make it more difficult or, or have areas change depending on what you do, have different monsters pr patrolling previous areas and stuff. But it's just not compelling enough for me to get that deep into whatever else it might have to offer. Plus, every single time I see a multiplayer sign, I click on it and it says host world full and that's the end of that. But then I put my own down and ain't no one joined for ages, so fuck knows what's up. Yeah. That's Hellpoint, not very good. Whilst well, you've been playing, Jim... We're just gonna keep. We're just gonna keep going to you. We're gonna make you do all the work. We'll just tap me out, and then I'll go and have a little sleepy. Um, <laughs> Crisis remastered on the Switch. Uh, how's that? How's that Switch port? <laughs> the port's fine, but we must all acknowledge the Crisis <laughs> is a shit, shit game. Crisis was never a good game. It was never a good game. I don't know why I thought I'd enjoy it more just because it's on the Switch. I don't. Because because everything's better on the Switch. It was a technical benchmark <laughs> game, yeah. and they're putting it on a device for which nobody wants to make technical benchmark. <laughs> I mean, that's the big problem, oh. is it's like, the, the only real worth of this is the gimmick of, oh, look, it's Crisis, that game people couldn't run in 2004. It's on the Switch. And it's like, that, that doesn't work, because A, there are better-looking things on the Switch. <laughs> B... It doesn't make the Switch look good that a big gimmick is a game from the <laughs> 2000s is on it. And C, Crisis is so shit. 
It is such yeah. a shit game. It was shit when it came out, and it's shit today. None of it works, right? It's a mess. I, I do not remember a single bit of critical discourse about uh, Crisis when it came out, other than the whole meme that became, can it run Crisis? Yeah. Oh, can my computer run Crisis? That's all Crisis had to offer, was a meme, because it sure as shit ain't a good game. I just need to add, right, Crisis 2 is fucking great. I, so I just... Part of why I love Crisis 2 is how surprising it was that it came from that. Yeah. That it came from that primordial shit. It is ridiculous that that, that game is still part of the popular consciousness. Because I can't think of any other game that existed so much as a thing that you just downloaded just to see how your new, your new computer would handle it. Yeah. That stuck around once it wasn't the technical benchmark anymore in pop cu- in, in pop consciousness. It's been buoyed by that meme. By it was so strongly associated with the graphical benchmark that crisis as a concept. I mean, Crytek tr- still trades on that. Yeah, they still trade on what they did back then. Um, and 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 it sucks because people every no one talks about the crisis series. They talk about the first crisis and and only from the perspective of. It's historical placement. Yeah. They don't point out that Crisis 2 was fucking great, and that's what should be on the Switch. But the thing is, if you put it on the Switch, even though it looks better than Crisis, it somehow wouldn't be as impressive, because it's not Crisis. That, my friends, is what we call injustice. See... The only win, I think, here would have been Double Pack, Crisis, and Crisis 2, because then you could have had all the fanciness of, oh, look, Crisis is running on the Switch, and then when you got bored of it five minutes later, okay, I'll play Crisis 2 then. It should be Crisis 2 and Crisis 3, which was fine. <laughs> Crisis 3 was fine. I, I never played Crisis 3. It was more or less the same from what I remember. It, it just wasn't. It was Crisis 2, but not as good. Um, Crisis is is a piece of shit, but not as good. <laughs> Why can the enemies see you from so far away? Cybernetics, I don't know. They see you from so far away. Well, I'm the one with the fucking (laughs) nano suit and I can't see them. They blend in with the stupid fucking trees that you could shoot and make them fall over. (laughs) What a rubbish game. What else you played, Jim? Oh, have I played more? According to the list, you've played more. Oh, yeah, I played Psychonauts a little bit. Yeah. Conrad said it was good. What do you think? I played it a bit before. I still haven't played much because like, I've been juggling a lot of games and also been mostly asleep from sick. But I played up to... Where did I go? I went into the man with the sunglasses doctor laboratory and did some stuff. I'm really super early into it. Mm-hmm. I will say, though, for a 3D platformer from the PS2 era, I don't hate it. And that in and, it's, in and of itself is some sort of creative miracle. It has aged pretty gracefully. The platforming has aged surprisingly well, like way better than a lot of its contemporaries. Yeah. And, and more modern games with 3D platforming is better than some of them. So that in itself is pretty impressive. Other than that, it's it's a cute little game. Yeah, it's 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 writing is fun and amusing. It's got some creative ideas about its world design, and it's not terrible to play a decade plus later, which is always a plus. Yeah, and I I love how all the sort of thematic consistency that exists within the minds of all the characters, like they mm. are, just, every one of them is so different and so just about them and really well focused on it. And then there's just the other thing I love about it is while it very clearly presents as extremely cheerful um, in throughout most of this, like in those subconscious levels, there is just some dark shit in there some of the dark shit i do know like i've read up on some things about it before Hmm. and i've read some really interesting like some of the stuff it does where it really delves into people's history like characters histories and stuff right and and so that and so I i think it's interesting that all of the characters have some kind of trauma or some kind of you know problem that they work through or are working through or having to deal with or have already found some way of managing but there's still part of their minds And that's, I think, cool to see expressed in a game as a concept. 
Yeah. Indeed. Anyway, I, yeah, I love that game. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting more into it. I, I need to go back through it at some point because I, I, I remember it really fondly and I have a lot of like specific nice memories of it. And I, I'm looking forward to Psychonauts 2. Yep. Psychonauts 2 looks fun. Every time they do a trailer, I look at it and go, yep, that looks like more Psychonauts. I'm on board. Yep, ready for it. I'm here. Yeah. yeah. Well, there we are. That's. I think that's everything I've done. I think that's everything Jim's played. I think that's everything I've done. You know, I actually am going to go and yeah, lie down now. Yeah, have a lay down. down. Yeah. yeah. Um, go, go sorry for be on the whole show, everyone. No, it's okay. We yeah. Well done for making it as long as you did. Now go get some rest. This yeah. is where everybody clicks off. <laughs> Bye. I, I, I don't want to know the metrics. Bye. Bye. Well. <laughs> uh, so... Comrade, I played some games. Ah, I know you did. Yeah. Yeah, I've been playing Carrion this week. See, I didn't get that yet, and I want to, yeah. but I just, I, I've got other things I'm playing. That's totally fair. Um, I I jumped on it purely because I knew that it was a fairly short game, and there was a good odds of me being able to play, clear it in one or two settings, which was nice. Yeah. I just wanted to have something that, you know, when you get that urge where you're just like, I want to finish something and get it out of the way. Um... So yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, Carrion is one of those uh, games that Devolver's been showing at their showcases the last couple of years. You play um, a creature made of decaying meat and tentacles that is escaping from a lab, and you've got to just murder all the humans to get the fuck out of there as quick as you can. It's like the thing, but you're the thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, It's like three to five hours long, depending on how efficiently you murder your way through this place. Um, I was was closer to the five-hour end, and I will explain why in a little bit. I can't overstate how good it feels to move around in that game. They have nailed the feeling of this multiple-limbed thing just efficiently speeding through through areas. It's much easier to move this creature around large areas in big sweeping, sweeping movements than it is to make small, precise, slow movements. It's definitely geared towards rush into a space, grab everything, eat everything, tear everything apart, get the fuck out. Mm-hmm. Which is a... Like, generally is how I wanted to be playing ga- the game. It is how it is most fun to play. But there are occasional levels where it's like, here is like a real fucking tough enemy that will shred you apart if you're not careful. And you have to try and be sneaky and... That's sometimes a little fiddly. Ne- never enough to be like a big detriment to the game, but just something of note. Um, there's a lot of picking up new abilities as you go further through the game, and I think they do a really good job of doling those out at good intervals so that it constantly feels like you're progressing, you're getting a new mechanic, you are doing everything that is interesting with that mechanic, and as soon as they've got nothing new to do with it, they move on to the next thing. They, they add something new to your arsenal. The density of different gameplay mechanics they introduce over such a short period of time really keeps the pace going well. Mm-hmm. It is really satisfying to just grab stuff and eat it and have all the humans scream. It, it, it captures what it needs to, that feeling of you are very powerful and everything dies in your wake, which is great. I have some problems with it. Yeah. It's certainly far from perfect. Um, my biggest issue with it is that um, it's not exactly a Metroidvania game. It is largely linear. You will sometimes double back through places you've been, but the game will lead you on a linear path back around to where you were, and now it's like, oh, I can see where I can go. But it, it, it has that feel of a Metroidvania in that sort of sprawling, quite maze-like environment. But it gives you no map. And more than once, I got lost for a good 20 minutes because, oh, that bit of wall over there is interactable and I just didn't spot it because it isn't very clearly identified or... There's no... You have this ability to roar and it will point you to things like save points or uneaten humans nearby, but it doesn't... You can't use that echolocation to point you to where progress is. Mm-hmm. You, If you lose your bearings for a minute, if you lose where the game has sort of guided you on its attempt at a linear path, you can get real fucking lost for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get why they didn't give you a map, because you're a monstrous hell beast and the picture of this monstrous hell beast pulling a map open and having a look and going, where, where am I going? I get it. As a player, I would have appreciated one. Because, um, like, the game is at its most fun when you are just, without interruption, murdering your way through everything and keeping that snappy pace. Yeah. And getting lost really kills the momentum. Ah, uh, that's... Yeah. Boy, that, 
I was really, really on board until you said that. And now I've kind of got yeah. some pause because I am the dude who gets lost. Like, yeah. And, and, and it happens to me less often in, you know, a side view perspective than it does in, you know, like a first yeah. or third person, you know, top down. I, here's, here's the thing. If you're interested in, if you're interested in the game and you know that, like, that that might be a problem for you, just have a walk through nearby and go, yeah. fuck it, I'm lost. Where do I go next? Like, I, I think that this game benefits from the the sooner you realize I'm lost and don't try and fight your way through it and just go, okay, just point me where to go next, the better you can keep that momentum going. Mm-hmm. Um there's puzzle the puzzle solving stuff in it is generally pretty well handled. There's a there's a couple of puzzles here and there that I got stuck on for a while and the solutions always made sense in the end. It's again, I I <sighs> I'm not opposed to there being... I, I quite enjoyed the puzzle stuff in this, but any time that something roadblocks you and you're stuck for a bit trying to work out how to progress, it does kill the momentum of those moments when the game is like, go, 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 murder, go, kill, keep going, keep going, keep going. It, it feels a little at odds with itself in some places. Mm-hmm. But like that was never enough to stop me from having a great time with it. There is there is reason to go back and backtrack um, and to go back in after you've finished it. There is a bunch of hidden additional abilities for your beast to go and find that basically optional optional side areas that you couldn't reach the first time you went round places and you don't need these abilities at all but they're things like have an extra tentacle to be able to hold more humans in your mouth at one time and it was fun pottering back round and doing a second playthrough just trying to be like okay what shit did i miss the first time it's a lot of fun it ends in a really interesting way and for the problems i have with it I'm glad I played it. Yeah. Again, even even with my getting a bit lost here and there and having a couple of puzzles that slowed me down and that like just didn't click with my brain, I still finished the whole thing in about five hours. I mean, that's not bad. That's it. Like, I don't mind a game having some problems like this if I can still conceivably complete it on a Saturday and be like, yep, that's done. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's definitely worth checking out, but... I'll probably hold off a bit. Yeah, I'm not in a rush. I've got so much other stuff to play at the moment. I think it might be worth waiting until you can Google image search carry and map and Uh just have a map on hand to look up if you need it. That's a good call. That's a real good call. If if you could just have a, um, a, a static map that you could consult and go, here's where I am. Okay, what's what can I do? Mm -hmm. I think that would help so much. What about you? What you been playing this week? Uh, I opted to check out Panzer Paladin. Which also just came out la- late last week. Yeah, this is from the Flint Hook people, isn't it? This is from Tribute. They, uh, you know, they do retro style games better than just about anybody else in terms of really nailing the feel of what they're trying to create and then adding some depth elements that you wouldn't expect to it. Um, you see it in Flint Hook with just the sheer quantity of options you can use to build out your character going into levels. You see it in mm. Mercenary Kings on just an absurd depth scale of customization for uh, weapons and so much loot and so much crafting. It That game's just too much. But then you see it in something simple like Curses and Chaos – which is uh, just a simple arcadey side scroll, you know, kill enemies as they move onto the screen action game. And then you look a little deeper and you find that it also has this really difficult to penetrate crafting system. Um, yeah. yeah, so Tribute loves to, to do those sorts of things. What's interesting about Panzer Paladin, which is a side scrolling game that I think owes a lot in its tone, in its design to Blaster Master. Okay, yeah. In that, you know, in Blaster Master, you have your little car and you have your little guy who jumps out of the car. Um, now, you don't have the terrible top-down levels that Sunsoft put into those, uh, but there are points at which you have to exit your mech and hop out and run around and do some stuff outside of it. Oftentimes, the only points at which... well. If you want to recharge the health of your mech, you're going to have to get out of your mech to do it. Like you, there are charge stations in every level, but they always involve you getting out, which of course puts you at much greater risk because you have significantly less health. Um, mm. you have three lives to start. Uh, and there's a bunch of different stages and it has a Mega Man style stage select 
and you do get a weapon from defeating every boss, but there doesn't, there's no like rock, paper, scissors mechanic to it, as far as I could tell. Every enemy, every one of these boss enemies just has a particularly powerful, um, special weapon that they drop and you collect and take with you. And the mm. weapons are the core of the experience of playing Panzer Paladin. M- enemies will drop them at random and you pick them up and you have an inventory. You have, uh, at least at the start of the game, and, and I haven't gotten too terribly deep. This could expand. You have four weapons that you can have equipped at one time. And then a huge growing inventory of other weapons. And all the weapons have their own stats of attack power and the type of damage that they deal. So it could be piercing, it could be slashing, it could be bludgeoning, that sort of stuff. And enemies, I guess, are weak to different types. There are certain blocks that necessitate certain types to be destroyed. And there's a durability system. Okay. So every weapon has its own durability and will eventually break. They all have their own range. They're all very different. Oh, and they all have a magic spell associated with them. Mm. And so at any point, you can choose to destroy the weapon you currently have equipped to use the spell it contains. So what you wind up doing a lot of the time is using a weapon until it's close to breaking, then destroying it yourself to get the benefit of the spell, switching weapons, on and on and on. But there's more that these weapons do as well. They are, in effect, an experience point system that you cash them in at a shop at the hub Ah. and you use them to expand the maximum health of your mech. They also function as a difficulty, um, uh, um, a system of setting the difficulty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some some <laughs> some sort of difficulty system, I guess, is the best way to put that. Because it it gradually becomes more difficult the more weapons you have in your inventory. So you want to be clearing them out and using them in a way that reduces the value of weapons that you have, and that hmm. then makes these you know special weapons that you're collecting valuable and difficult in a different way. Because if you're building up a stockpile of them, they they're worth the highest value to this. So you mm. do want to use the things you get. Um, it's very difficult, but not absurdly difficult. It definitely has that Mega Man level of difficulty where you kind of have to get some level memorization, maybe, to effectively run a stage. But speedrunners will fucking love it. Mm. And it is, it's not impossible at any point to traverse the stage out, you know, without the mech. So you can hop out, run the whole stage yeah. that way, and there are some routes that are faster. One of the things I'm not so crazy about in the stage designs is that because you are able to choose any of the stages that you want of, and I think there's something like 10, 12 stages to choose from. They all have a segment that you have to get out of the mech and run through, but they never feel like they are that much more or less difficult than any of the other ones. You never feel like there's a skill gradation that you are having to use this ability more effectively because of that level design structure. And the mech, well, the jumps in general, it feels like an old boy. They've nailed how uh, not necessarily the best jump in a video game feels. It's very heavy. It's very clunky. There's not a lot of um, horizontal distance that you traverse. And the stages are all made to fit. It's fine, but it also just feels like dread every time you approach a big dr- a big jump that you might miss it. But Again, it's nothing that if you aren't accustomed to this style of game, you know, this sort of 8-bit, 16-bit era of stuff, you're not going to kind of feel comfortable with what the shortcomings are anyway. They haven't gotten out of their way, got out of their way to make things better in some respects that could have been, but you can hardly fault them for that because they're trying to pay homage to a certain period of gaming. So yeah, on the whole, I think Panzer Paladin's pretty successful it's really interesting mechanically it's much more meaty than you might uh, think by just looking at it it's cool hmm. hey i'm glad to glad to hear that yeah 
Uh, what have I been playing this week? Um, oh, so I've been I've been playing the two ends of the Paper Mario games uh, spectrum this week. Mm. So I've been I've been playing more of that Paper Mario: The Origami King on the Switch. Right. My opinion on this game has not really changed since I talked about it the other week. It it, it is a very fun, well written, charming game. As long as you go into it not expecting classic Paper Mario combat and sort of being prepared for this is going to be a puzzle quest a puzzle quest. Legend of Bumbo-esque Like This is puzzle solving right. More than it is Traditional turn-based combat And as long as you have That expectation uh, I think that there is Definitely some fun To be had in it mm-hmm. I think The further I've gotten into it The more clear it is That There is a limit To how many ideas This game has For what What you can do With its circular Organise the enemies System Like I think there was a point A little over Halfway through the game Where I, I was like Okay you don't have any new tricks for how to use this. And I that's when I started to find the game less interesting. It, it just ran longer than it had ideas to make its core puzzle combat continue to feel fresh. But on the other end of the scale, I started playing an indie game uh, called Bug Fables. And for the people who've been playing Paper Mario the Origami King and going... I don't like this. It isn't Thousand Year Door on the GameCube. It's not the Paper Mario that everyone likes. Bug Fables is one million percent. It is just Thousand Year Door reskinned and it's about insects. And it's really fun. The general conceit is the Queen of the Ants wants to find something called the Everlasting Sapling, which is basically the fountain of youth in plant form. If you eat one of its leaves, you'll be young forever. Um, and her armies couldn't find the thing, so she basically invites adventurous insects from the other insect kingdoms to be like, "Hey, come, come here, and you can you can have a life of adventure." But if you find this sapling, you got to bring it to me. And you play this team of like a little overexcited bee that everyone is like, "Nope, you are you are a child. You cannot go on adventures." And she's like, "No, fuck off. Let me adventure." Um, a big surly beetle, and I have a moth that can do ice magic. It's quite um, interesting. And yeah, it is. It is in every single mechanical sense. It is Paper Mario: The Thousand Year Door. Every mechanic from uh, instigating battles on the overworld by attacking, so that you get an extra attack up, attack round up front. Um, get a hundred experience to level up, and your options after that are increase your health, increase your mana, or increase your badge points, which are how you spec out your build and give yourself new attacks. Everything structurally is Paper Mario. Mm-hmm. I I like a lot of the mechanics they've given each of the individual characters to give them things to do on the overworld. Um, they all have their unique abilities, like, oh, I can throw something at a distance, I can freeze objects on the overworld, you use those for your puzzle solving. Mm-hmm. It has a few of its own ideas, which I think largely work. Um, they have this system in battle where you can get one of your three party members to give up their turn to let a different party member have a second, a, a second action this turn. Mm-hmm. But... The more actions you load a character up on on one turn, the less effective those actions become, um, which is a, it, it works really well in, in practice. Like, let's say you you were up against three flying enemies and you've only got one party member that can knock flying enemies down to the ground. You might want to give all three of your actions to that enemy that can attack flying enemies. The first time, they might do two damage and knock it down. The second time, they might only do one damage and knock it down. The third time... They might knock it down, but not do any damage. And you've got them all to the ground, but you've done less damage each time you've you've forced them to do another action that turn. And they definitely balance the combat around knowing that you can do that. And that's that's been a really fun system to try and get my head around. Mm-hmm. They also separate... They do that thing where you can change which party member is at the front of the, the turn order. So like, okay, that enemy's going to take the brunt of the damage. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have that separated from the turn order you attack in. So you don't have to have whoever's at the front of the line do the first attack of the turn, which is really nice. Oh, that is nice. Yeah. Yeah. Like they've they've thought through a lot of the problems that usually show up in this kind of game. And they've 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 got they've clearly made an effort to go. Here are some things we found frustrating about Thousand Year Doors formula. Let's try and fix those in our version. I think largely it works. Um, if you're looking for a difficult game in this genre, right at the start they give you an optional medal that is the hard mode medal, and oh my fucking god, it's... Uh, yep, yep, it's hard. Um, 
I here's what I'll say about the hard mode for anyone considering it. I largely thought it was well balanced. I had a good fun with the challenge of the hard mode medal until I got to the first boss of the game, because I could deal with enemies doing tougher damage and having a shorter window to try and block attacks, because um, it's got that whole system where press a button as the attack's hitting you to reduce damage. I could deal with that, but um, boss the, the the first boss had one of those like mash the button really quickly to avoid this attack hitting you things, and it is so unbelievably fast on hard mode. They they ramp up the difficulty of it so far. I could not physically stop that attack hitting me, and it's like oh every one of your party members takes X amount of damage, and they're all poisoned. Like it is the you're probably going to lose this fight if you keep getting hit with it. Mm. And I I was like. Let me turn up the difficulty of this game, but not turn up the difficulty of the speed I have to mash this button, because I physically cannot mash it that fast. Which is a shame. It, it was the only thing that put me off of the game's hard mode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's just a really charming insectoid Paper Mario. And for, for anyone who is very specifically craving Thousand Year Door era Paper Mario, mechanically this is that. The characters are all very charmingly written. It's... I'm having a lot of fun with it so far. Well, that's all good news. Yeah. What about you? You played anything else this week? Well, we, I think, both played um, a fair bit of Ooblets. Yeah, yeah. I've I've, I've played more Ooblets. I'm, I'm, I'm getting in there. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> I sense the trepidation in that, and I am not surprised. I mean... It, okay, first of all, <laughs> we gotta talk about the character's walk animation. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Something, <laughs> anything, needs to be done about that. It's, it's, it's a little odd, huh? It's real bad. Um, and it, it's, it's not, here's the funny thing about it is that it stopped bothering me fairly quickly because I realized I don't spend any time looking at the main character when I'm playing it. Well, that's it, yeah. So <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's it's a really, I know, it, it ultimately is such an inconsequential thing to complain about, but dear God, uh, what did you on, do? On, okay, on the complete opposite side, a thing I didn't talk about last week. It is so adorable to dress these ooblets up. <gasps> oh my god, yes. Oh my god, ooblet dress up is the best part of this game. I have a, uh, a, a uh, one of the, the wood guys. Yeah. And he's wearing a, uh, a, a top hat and a monocle, and his name is Lord Twigston. <laughs> oh, the fanciest. He is just delightful. And, and I've got a, a, a clomper. <laughs> <laughs> who has uh, star sunglasses? Yeah, and he's 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 the uh, unusual color, so he's the dark. And I call him Elton Clomp. <laughs> oh. oh, I love yeah. I love the ooblets. I love their design. I love how just relentlessly positive the game is. Just yeah. constantly. Like, you finish the smallest, tiniest objective and it's like, oh, the screen is full of colours and everyone's dancing. It's wonderful. You end <laughs> the, you end a day and it goes through your whole list of things that you did and it shows you all the ooblets you saw that day and then the confirm button says, <laughs> I did good. And you're like, yes, I did. I did good. Oh. And then when you win a fight against another team of Ooblets, you win your dance battle, and it's like, hey, I'm just gonna pat you on the head, other other team of Ooblets, you did great. Don't right? worry that you lost. You're wonderful. You're fab. But yeah. while we're talking about the end of combat, yeah. could we perhaps have a slightly faster or, oh, I don't know, some means of skipping or presenting me all the information at once Yeah, instead it's... of a drawn-out battle where I have to see six of these fucking things do a little dance and fill a meter and then maybe show me a card? Yeah, it's one of those things that I didn't mind a week ago when I'd only played a few hours, and the more time I put into it, the more I'm like, okay, been there, seen this, we're good. It's to the extent that I have limited my focus on doing dance battles in the game. Mm. Almost all of my time is spent in farming, uh, talking to people, and finding stuff necessary to craft the things required to further grow my farm. Yeah. And that's like, 
I would love, I think that I think the combat system with the dance battles is really good. Mm. I love the buff debuff mechanic that they have there. It's very straightforward. It's very simple, but all the ooblets have their own different things that they bring to the table. I love the little robot guys that... Oh, yeah. Like, their whole thing is reducing move cost and then, like, dropping low-cost moves as well. You know, to the point where you can reduce move cost and gain more moves back by using moves in your hand. I love that. Yeah, like, the the the, the different mechanics of each Ooblet's uh, deck archetype are so well thought out. It's really fun to do the, the combat. So I'm I'm excited for more content to come. Yeah. You know, uh, it's pretty clear I'm getting close to the end of this first segment of the game that they have available. Yeah, I've, I've definitely reached the point where it's like, I have got everything that I'm going to get out of my time with Ooblets for now, and I will probably put this down and not pick it up again until... They say version 1.0, it is It is done. Yeah. Because I don't know this is the kind of game I want to dip in and out of per update. I think I just want to play it all in one go. Oh, I mean, just judging by the amount of dedicated time I dedicated to playing it over the course of, like, the weekend and so forth, yeah. I know that I'm not going to be satisfied if I have to stop again. So, yeah. Um, like, yeah. Even if I didn't get back to it, I feel like I got, got my money's worth out of out of my charming time with it already. Oh, like, it, yeah, it is already well worth having picked up. Yeah, I'm I'm pleased with it. It's a good experience, and I and I will come back to it because I yeah. I'm into this. It's, it's fun. A, I, I think between the two of us, we will one of us will probably notice. Oh, it, it it's it's done, so that we can tell the other one that we can play it again. Yeah, and I'm kind of counting on you for that. Uh, but I, I do hope that they uh, address. Just a couple quality of life things uh, along yeah. the way. Um, that because that's all that's really holding it back for me from being like this. This thing's fantastic. Yeah, it's the core concept is definitely there. They've got something good on their hands. They just need to keep at it. Yep. Yep. Keep on that polish. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much all I played this week. Uh, I dipped my toes into a couple of other games mainly because I was working on a video and I needed to capture some footage. I played a little bit of. Um, Grounded, which is... That's Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Yeah, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, um, the Obsidian game. And it's generally not for me, I think. It's it's one of those, go collect the materials, build your base, collect more materials, build more things, collect more materials, build more things, fight stuff as you go to stay alive. Survival-y games. I get the impression that it would be a more enjoyable game played in co-op, but this is not the kind of game that I'm, I would make the time to play in co-op. Mm. The main reason I checked it out, and the thing that I was looking for that I think is interesting, is um, the game has a pretty robust arachnophobia mode. Oh. Um... Because obviously you are a very shrunk down character and... A spider to be a threat, yeah. Yeah, a spider can be a threat. Like, very early in the game, there are spiders that are much bigger than the player. Um, so the game warns you this up front and goes, Hey, look, there's going to be spiders much bigger than your player character. Do you are, are you afraid of spiders? Would that freak you out? Here's a menu. It gives you a slider from, like, one to five. And it doesn't show you anything, but it goes, Hey, one is just full spider. Five at the other end is... As much as we can reduce that spider and still have the game be playable, and there are points in between, you can you can reduce the amount of spider. Now, uh, what does what does reduce the amount of spider mean? I, I will explain that in a second. This number system, I wish it had text based uh, explanations because, like, I can give you explanations of what those numbers do, and I think it's really interesting. But as a player, if you want to have anything other than reduce the amount of spider completely, you have to click to see a preview of what the spider currently looks like. And they could totally have just done text descriptions to make that slider easier to use. Does kind of defeat the purpose of trying to prevent the player from having to see the content. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's it's a slider with multiple discrete numbers along it that in practice, anyone who is afraid of spiders will just whack up to max. Yeah. Um, and I think there is value to the increments along the way. And I'll, I'll explain why. So basically, you start with a full spider. First notch on reducing the amount of spider is now it just has four legs. Is it the fact that it has eight legs that bothers you? We took away some legs. Okay. Um, and it's it's things like, okay, do the legs in general freak you out? Now it's got no legs. It's just a floating spider body with no legs. Oh, that's not creepier. Uh, is it is it the mandibles? It's now got no mandibles. Uh, and I think at the top end, it's basically, 
here is two hit po- uh, hitbox blobs. Here is the head, and here is the body, and it's just two blobs that sort of float around. Huh. Here's the reason why you might not want to put it all the way up to max. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a slight problem with the way this game is put together in that the spiders in this attack using their legs. Oh. And if you reduce oh, that no. slider all the way to nothing, you can't... They have no legs, so you can't see where they're hit. Oh. Yeah, oh. which is like... It's slightly ill thought out. Uh, you can still fight them. You just have to like deliberately keep more of a distance than you normally would have to just to be safe. Okay, hear hear me out. Yeah. What they should have done was in, in, implement a create a spider system. Hmm. You know, with with radio buttons that you could click on and off to determine the features of your. You know, make your own anti arachnophobic experience instead of these weird gradations. Um, or even just, hey, when you reduce it down to just some hitbox blobs, have two additional blobs, make them bright red or something so they're nice and easy to see. That is the, the tips of the legs. That is the thing that it can attack you with. I'm kidding about the creator spider thing. That's a ridiculous, like, why? Yeah, yeah that's I don't, so dumb. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> why would you do that to address this problem? I don't, I don't know. I, I, I like that they have a degree of control. I like yes, that they've attempted good. to do this thing. It feels like they've not thought out the practicalities of what it's like to play with this up, up full. I mean, you could, I, I don't know. Could, wouldn't it have made more sense to just introduce a different type of creature? Like a slug. Yeah. Re- replace it with something else like a big beetle. Yeah, and you can have the option. Heck, that, yeah. you know, fine. Yeah. Yeah, it, well... That's strange, though. So, I mean, I, A for effort. Well, I'll say this. I I was tweeting about this mode earlier today, and I had a few people who were afraid of spiders that were like, hey, can you send me some pictures of what this looks like? Because I was interested in this game, and this has me interested again. And generally, the response from people who are afraid of spiders who've seen it is, oh, I, c- I can handle that. Good. Which is good. good. I'm glad that that is there, and I'm glad that they've made an effort. Yep. Um, it, it is the the other thing I played this week again. Looking for arachnophobia modes in games was Satisfactory, mm. which is a first person game. It's one of those um, build a machine that conveyor belts to another machine that conveyor belts to another machine. But this one's done in first person, and you can sort of explore the world and you know fight creatures as you go around. That game's arachnophobia mode replaces all spiders with just a JPEG of a cat. Just a cat's face. Oh my god! That angrily runs at you, and rather than making the skittering sound of spider legs, it just goes meow 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 meow. Done right. Like, see, that works mechanically because those spiders uh, damage you just by physical contact. Right. Like the entire body of the spider touches you, and you have taken damage. So in that case, oh, if the spider ha- the the cat face touches me, I take damage. That mechanically works. Here's my problem, though. Now you have the different problem of you're killing cats. Yeah, that might not be okay for it. Not everyone wants to kill cats, but it's 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 not spiders. And if spiders are your That's problem, true. it's not spiders. That's true. Yeah, not much else to say about that pair of games. Just I played them how that because uh, I was curious how they they handle spider stuff. Uh, I've got a video going up on Friday about games removing spiders. You played anything else this week? Nope, not really. Nothing worth remarking. Yeah, uh, let me pull up. It was, what what newsy stuff was there this week that was of any note? Um, a bunch of decades old Nintendo stuff leaked, including source code for for games, development builds of of scrapped projects, scrapped assets. Uh, prototypes of games that never released. I guess the big news was that there was a, a point in time where Luigi was in Super Mario 64. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 24 years and one month after Mario 64 released, that whole L is real 2401 thing. Ah, it's come to fruition. Luigi was in Mario. I I think the more interesting stuff in there is, um, I I really love that there is uncompressed audio from a bunch of Super Nintendo games, so you can hear, like, the original line reads for stuff like, um, Star Fox, um, shouts. Oh, wow. Yeah, like, the original uncompressed audio they recorded in the studio for, like, every line of dialogue in every Star Fox game. Uncompressed soundtracks for a lot of games from that era are quite a wonderful find. There's a lot of stuff that's just like, oh, here's characters that were scrapped from this, that, and the other. There's an entire Ocarina of Time scrapped dungeon that people are putting together slowly, um, that, like, was in screenshots, like, back in the day before that game released, and Mm -hmm. they're like, oh, we, we we have the code for it now. It's gonna take people a while to dig 
through all of the stuff that's in there, but it's it is it is fascinating. If you are someone that is interested in like the history of how games come together, um, there's a bunch of designs for Yoshi, so you can see the evolution of like here's the eight or nine designs we took before we got to this dinosaur. Um, there's just a lot of like interesting curios of Nintendo history. Yeah, I'd, I'm gonna have to. Di- I've seen. Little things pop up here and there that have been found, but I haven't really dug into seeing the full sort of scope of what people have uncovered so far. I can send you some videos, if you like, that nicely summarize, like, here is is just everything that was there. Yeah. Nicely, sequentially ordered together. But yeah, it's... There is so much has been found that's going to take a while to dig through it all. It's uh, archivists are probably just over the moon. God, yeah, it is. It is a really interesting look into video game history, and there's a lot of stuff that preservationists are discussing what what to do with. Mm. You love to see it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, there's more Ubisoft bullshit. Oh, Ubisoft. You mean the company that has a, a history and pattern of systemic abuse against its workers? Yeah, yeah, that company. Um, right. The one that hasn't addressed it yet in any meaningful way. Yeah. So today we're talking about Yves, Yves Guillemot, the, the man at the top of Ubisoft who really should be answering some questions about all this. Mm-hmm. Uh, during an investor call... Um, Basically, the these the the situation that was posed to him was, "Hey, look, there are three conceivable situations here. Either you knew about this and said nothing, you didn't know anything at all, in which case that's a problem, or you knew some but didn't ask questions and that's a problem. How do you respond?" And his response basically boiled down to, oh, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, many people who I've trusted have, oh, that uh, mm, they misplaced, their, they they abused that trust. It's not my problem. Goodbye. Ooh. Just sort of floated off into the distance. Mm. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he did not, he did not have any meaningful response to... Did you or did you not know that this bullshit was going on within your company? Props to that investor for standing up and doing the right fucking thing to try and hold the company that he has. I assume he. I believe it was he. I've read the story. Uh, Yes, yes, Um, yes, yes. That's their their money. It's their investment. And they're holding the people responsible for their investment to account. Yeah. And, and, And well done as well for not being flowery with the language and just addressing, look... There are three situations and none of them is good. Now, my question is, was this the first question asked? Uh, I don't know. Because if it wasn't the first question asked... That's depressing. What the fuck's wrong with all of the people who had questions before this guy? Yeah, yeah. I'm glad this guy existed, but also, like, it horrifies me to imagine that that wasn't the first question out of anyone's mouth. And maybe it was. Hey, maybe it was. Yeah. And hey, if it was... Why wasn't the second question out of someone's mouth? That wasn't really an answer. Did you know about it or did you not? Uh, uh uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, we can't count on that to happen, obviously. (laughs) I know, Uh, I know. But but cheers, cheers to that, dude. Thank you, at least. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that someone in that room said it. And the only other thing I wanted to uh, bring up on the, the newsy front this week was um, uh, Microsoft had their, like, hey, here's first party games for the Xbox Series X. Mm-hmm. No- nothing in it that was too exciting uh, to, to, to me. But th- there was one game that I wanted to talk about, which is um, uh, Don't Nod, which is the studio that makes Life is Strange. They do their uh, narrative-based adventure games. Has got a game coming out called Tell Me Why. And I've been watching this game for a bit because it's got a a trans man character voiced by a trans man. And, you know, I've, I've been watching it with curiosity because, you know, generally I would say I think Don't Nod have done a pretty good job being tasteful with depictions of serious topics. And after they had a trailer during this Xbox showcase, they put out an FAQ on their website answering some really clear and direct questions that people like me had about how they're going to handle the trans content in this game. I will avoid sharing much in the way of spoilers here for anyone that wants to go in blind, but they addressed topics such as 
will the character ever for any for any reason get dead named or um, misgendered will they face transphobic abuse and if so at what point in the narrative will that stop being a thing um this is an, a narrative game with multiple endings are there endings of this game in which horrible things happen to this trans person for being trans the trailer makes implications about this character's um mother being transphobic is that the case and just like up front being like look these are some concerns that understandably people will have about our handling of a trans character. If you want to know what the answers are so that you can go in forewarned, we're just going to tell you, like, months before the game comes out, we're going to give you that information so you can make an informed choice. And obviously, I've not played it. The first episode comes out end of August. The answers they gave all sounded really promising. It sounded like they had thought through the correct issues that might arise and have approached their answers in the right way. I feel safer going into this game having read this, and I kind of wish more games that were going to try and tackle minority representation would do stuff like this, where they just go, look, are you concerned about X, Y, and Z? Don't worry, we're not going to surprise you, here's the situation. Yeah, and I can understand on some level, like, a reticence to do that, because you don't want to publicize all of these plot elements of your narrative game, you know, yada, 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 yada. Yeah, like, the the whole point of this game is to explore through a narrative, it must be a terrifying prospect to put that narrative information out ahead of release. Right, so I have a lot of respect for making the choice to do this. Yeah. Um, And I also think it speaks to a confidence uh, in, you know, what they, you know, might think as the quality of their own work, that that they think that they could put this out there and it's not going to damage the product to do so. Yeah. It also speaks to a confidence in, we are confident we have done this correctly. Right. And I think if you're going to make these kinds of minority issues a major part of your narrative, it behooves you to demonstrate that you've really thought about it. Yeah. And just like, even if you don't read it, if you even if you just read the questions that are asked and you never read the answers on this list, and I'm assuming that they have some sort of like FAQ, you know. Yeah, it's, it's drop down boxes. So you can read the question and click to see the answers to the ones that you want to have answered. Getting the awareness that these issues even that they've even been considered in the process of development i think probably would give a great comfort to a lot of people god yeah like the the fact that they have stopped to ask do we at any point for any reason misgender this character is like okay you've clearly thought you've you've clearly had the right conversations right i don't need to know the answers necessarily to those questions because I know that you've thought of them, and I can assess them based on that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. As opposed to other examples that we've seen lately. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, very much. Um, but yeah, I, th- there's other stuff on that Q&A. Like, there's also like, hey, are you worried about homophobic content? Um, this game is set in X region that has an indigenous population. How have we addressed that? I'm glad that they've done this, because like, Don't Nod as a company does like to put serious topics in their games and they've been hit and miss with how they've done it sometimes um the original life is strange second episode of that had a scene that has you trying to talk someone down from suicide and if you play that game today that second episode has a lot of support there for like look did this did this personally impact you here are some support and some resources because we know that we've put you through something quite traumatic here that wasn't there at launch and that was something they they had some flack for um but life is strange too which is largely about two people making a road trip um across america and having to deal with america's Racist racism problem towards uh, towards people who were of Mexican descent. Over the last few years, they've definitely gotten better at their handling of topics and at thinking things through in advance. And I'm glad to see that that trend seems to be continuing. That they seem to more and more be thinking about the implications of things upfront and in advance, which is nice. Yeah, that's good. Um, and you know, if you're gonna attack, you know, serious topics, you know. You've got to think it through. We see so many yeah. games try and do narratives around, you know, government authority and, and you know, military action and things like that. And uh, don't, like, even think about, you know, or don't put an effort to really consider the implications of the things that they're putting out there. So, yeah, it feels good to know 
some people are, and maybe this will encourage others to do similar things. Uh, yeah. Like I say, I understand why they, they wouldn't or why, why they might not. Yeah. And I, and I certainly wouldn't, I wouldn't begrudge anybody not doing this. No, I'm, I'm not saying that this has to be the right. new standard or anything, sure. but I'm very glad to see it. Yep. It's a very, very good move by uh, a company that I think now knows what they make too, right? Yeah. So exactly. Yep, that's good. Right, should we should we wrap up here? Yeah, let's do it. Laura, where can people find you? Oh, it's very weird to have you asking me that. Um, uh, that's not how this goes usually. Oh no, I'm Laura K Buzz everywhere: Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, Patreon. That's the one that pays the bills. LauraKBuzz.com. You can find me streaming Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 10 p.m. UK, 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. Um, I've got some books. Uncomfortable Labels. It's about being gay and trans and on the autism spectrum. It's out now where books are sold. There's Things I Learned from Barrier's Butt, which is finished. It's been sent to the printers. Uh, it's coming out February 4th, 2021. Darn COVID delays. Uh, and then there's Gender Euphoria, which is an anthology of positive, nice, happy stories of trans people just having really lovely, af affirming, validating experiences. I have just finished writing my chunk of that book, uh, which I've done in the last month. I'm very tired. I've written a lot of words. Um, that'll hopefully be out next summer because I'm working my socks off to get it to hit that deadline. Other than that, there's podcasts, Pixel Squirt, where I talk about video game character pornography. There's um, Queer and Pleasant Strangers, where I talk about things that aren't exclusively video games. Uh, there's Dice Funk, which is a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I'm on seasons three, four, five, six, and seven. Every season's a self-contained story, and I'm on that with Conrad. Oh my goodness, that's true, you are. You can help me do the weird crap I do by going to patreon.com slash fistshark. You could buy anti-capitalist propaganda from me at pinfultruth.com or audiobooks that I make at conradreads.com. Uh, other podcasts that I do, um, of horse will come back at some point, we promise. Um, but there's still health issues going on that have kept that back. But, uh, um, spinoff doctors is also, uh, we should be recording as soon as Jim's well again. Um, hopefully. That, that happens very, very soon. And uh, Boss's Favorite Son, I was also told, might record at some point. But then I was also told that Jonathan is doing stuff that will be an issue until September. So God only knows. Uh, what I do know is that Jim has a Patreon. Jim does have a Patreon. That's at patreon.com slash Jimquisition. Uh, it supports the Jimquisition, it supports this podcast, it supports all of the things he do does, it allows him to pay people, and I think I more or less covered the lines on that, so go check that out, and thanks for listening. Yeah? Bye. Bye.